Are you wanting to create a highly prosperous photography business doing what you love? Or maybe you have a great business already and want to up your game? Then you're in the right place. Master craftsman photographer Lucy Dumas and her guests are here to support you on your journey. Now here's your hostess and tour guide, Lucy. Develop a playful attitude towards problems. Toss them around and handle them with a light touch. And that is a quote by Wilfred Peterson. I don't remember why I picked this a few days ago, but it's a good one. (laughs) All right. So my guest today is master photographer, author, teacher, IPC juror, and entrepreneur, Michael Mowbray. He is deeply involved in all aspects of the photography industry. He's in DeForest, Wisconsin. <laughs> is, is there a DeForest in Wisconsin, Michael? I'm surrounded by trees, yeah. <laughs> okay. He focuses on seniors, headshots, family, and commercial. And then he has this really cool lighting equipment called Molite, not less light, but Molite. And he is a leading reseller of Godex flashes and Molite's unique lighting products. He's the author of popular photography books called Shoot to Thrill and the Speedlight Studio. And it looks like that's in the Amherst It is, yes. thing, which if people haven't discovered that, that's a great source for information from, I think, mostly people who've been working photographers, at least the books that I see, people that I've known. Because, Michael, I've been in this business 40 years, so I know a few people. Anywho, so it's a great resource. And he is on the National Photography Speaking Circuit with his programs on headshots, lighting, and business. So, Michael, thank you so, so much for saying yes to being on The Profitable Photographer. Yeah, you're welcome. And boy, after that uh, buildup, I, I, I don't know if we can, can we top that? I think we're done. Are we okay. done? Yeah, we're done. The end. <laughs> <laughs> Have a great month, everyone. <laughs> um, and before we get started, just a reminder, if you go to lucydumascoaching.com, Lucy with an I, You can get in touch. You can see other shows that you might have missed and just generally kind of find out what I'm up to, how I might support you. Okay. So want to hear just a little bit about how you got to where you are as a photographer and an entrepreneur. So on your market set, go. <laughs> well, I've got a varied background. I people ask me, you know, what uh, what I've done, and I was like, I'm on my fifth or seventh or ninth career, depends on how you add things up. But uh, uh-huh. I spent a lot of years in advertising. Um, mm-hmm. My last corporate job, I was executive vice president of an ad agency, and believe it or not, working in advertising did not fulfill my the creative side of me. Mm. Part of it was because it was all collaborative and, right. and everybody always claimed uh, responsibility for anything that was creative. So um, <laughs> I just want, I just wanted to own something of my own. And the other aspect of it was that uh, yeah, in, in a business like that, it's so cutthroat and so high stress, not that the business we're in isn't, but um, it just was burning me out. Mm-hmm. So I got up to a point in my life and a point in my career where it was either I have to go all in on this and I was I was offered an opportunity to buy the ad agency I worked at, or I need to decide what I want to do or what I want to be when I grow up. And I uh, did a lot of soul searching and photography became the answer for me because mm-hmm. I had started to dabble in it again. It's always been something I've loved. And I was doing a little bit of work for the ad agency I worked at. And I decided, you know what, this is something I want to give a try. So I chucked the entire, uh, you know, high-end job, the company car, the board of directors, all that stuff to become a photographer and launched my uh, business by going to my attorney and signing the uh, LLC papers for it on September 11th, 2001. Mm. I was in my attorney's office when everything happened. So, Wow. wow. I sat there thinking, is this an omen? (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, I'll tell yeah. you, 21 years later, I'm still here and I'm still doing it. So, yeah. um, you know, if you can make it through that, plus the re- immediate recession we had after all that, other than the right. horror of it all, I think it's going to stand the test of time. Right. I think you must be doing something right. I started my business, Michael, in 1982 in the middle of a deep recession. Oh, I remember that. <laughs> so the moral of the story, I think you and I would agree with is not to let whatever conditions economically are going on to stop us. In fact, to me, I think starting a business in the middle of a downtime or a challenging time kind of makes us stronger. So when things Mm -hmm. get better, it's like, woohoo, like skiing on those black diamonds and then you get to the greens and, you know, it's easy, easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Oh, absolutely. And that's something, uh, some advice I would give anybody out there is you have an economic downturn or something bad happens, you know, take a second, recollect yourself and look for the opportunity because there are always opportunities in a recession Mm. or a downturn. Fewer people are starting businesses. People are pulling back. Um, Prices on things go down. You can pick up uh, used gear cheaper. Mm. So, you know, there are some opportunities out there. You know, some people are glass half full. Some people are glass half empty. To be honest, I'm always like, wow, you have a glass? But <laughs> <laughs> I've been cupping my hand and trying. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> been drinking out of the drain spout. Yeah, exactly. I just saw a Facebook post from, I can't remember which friend that's like, don't mess with me. I'm a, Lead paint, uh, you know, went on those things. Drink from the hose. Drink from a hose kind of gal. Yep. Lead paint, no seat belts, ride in the back of the pickup truck, drink out of the fire hose kind of gal. So, yeah, we, we make it work. And I love that. Look for the opportunities. I found, and I'm going to be doing a solo episode if it hasn't already posted, about some of the tips for riding through times when the news is saying things that might scare us. And one of them is to realize that if we focus on upping our game and know that there's going to be people, like you said, that either don't get started or drop out of the business, we can use those challenging times to make things better in our business. I've found that every one of the six recessions that I've ridden through, it was like a step up when things came back. Well, and that's one of the things we were experiencing right now. And one of the things that's driving inflation is everybody was, had so much pent up demand, you know, when they're you know locked, locked in their homes and couldn't spend money going out or taking vacations or whatever. And um, that's one thing I noticed with my lighting brand is that, I thought, oh my gosh, you know, nobody's going to be photographing anything. I'm not going to sell any lighting. It went up wow. because people started to look at, okay, I've got some time to learn some new skills. What's this, what's a new skill that I need to learn? I need to learn how to do off-camera flash. Okay, so they're going to teach themselves that and they need new gear. They turned to me and they also got stimulus money. So they had some stimulus money they could spend mm. on gear. So it actually... I was shocked. I had a huge month uh, in, I think, April or May, just after shutdown. Mm-hmm. Was not expecting that. Yeah. P- pleasant surprise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I realized how much money I spend yearly on education, on conferences, on travel, on kind of cute clothes to wear to those conferences. <laughs> and with the two years of, of not doing any of that, I've got a lot more just walk around money in the bank. That yeah. So I like that. And so what I'm guessing is that that also translates to people who now are like, I'm going to get out in the world, have money for, for portraits. Are you finding that in your photography business? How's that Oh, uh, very much so. It, it's um, it's actually been a trend in my photography business anyway, um, for a couple of different reasons. I, I'm working with fewer people by choice, 
and the average sale has been going up, which balances out because then that actually more than balances out because higher average sales, fewer people typically have higher profit margin. Mm-hmm. And then also with, with uh, the pandemic and I think people, again, got a chance to step back and realize what's more important to them right? and, and really start to embrace family. So we're seeing more, you know, family portraits and people actually embracing the idea of putting a wall portrait of their family on the wall. And high school seniors are big around here. They were so, so deprived of so many things. They couldn't go to prom. Mm-hmm. Some of the sports were canceled or postponed. So parents and seniors put their effort and some investment into at least trying to turn that time into a positive. And one of the nice positives is a great experience with senior portrait photography. So I, I saw a nice uptick in that. Um, and now uh, I'm doing a lot of uh, headshots because people, again, couldn't go out and get their, their headshots done for whatever reason. And now companies are hiring or people are changing jobs and they need updated headshots and need new headshots and they want good headshots. So, um, you know, that is all doing well right now as, mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. And I think that over the last two years, I've seen photographers being very resourceful and actually having more business because it's like if you're going on vacation and you know, like a month from now, I'll be gone for three weeks or something, then you focus, right? Mm-hmm. And get and be like, wow, why can't I get all this done on a normal month or a normal week? Or I had um, a major surgery 2014, and it was one of the best years, even though I was down for three months. But I made more income because I was like, I better get the before and after solid so that I can take this downtime. Do you agree with that? That it Oh. Help people focus are one of our favorite activities. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I, I'm I'm a funny one to talk to you about focus because I I do focus, but I focus in so many different areas that um yeah I I, I always talk about it. And so it's kind of like juggling cats with chainsaws, you know. Which uh, <laughs> do I catch the cat? Do I catch the chainsaw? Or both at the same time? Let me see your fingers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> got a little hangnail on this one. The cat got me there. Um, but it, it, it's very much true because uh, with the Molite stuff, I have a certain part of every day where we've got to get shipments out. Mm-hmm. So I have to be very focused and head down, get that done. And so whatever photography I'm going to do has a schedule around that, but I also have to be very focused and get that portion done. So, uh, you know, it's, it is really literally changing hats, you know, put on the Molite hat, do that, put on the photography hat, do that. Going to go do a podcast change that hat, <laughs> going to create a how-to video, got to put on that hat. So yeah. I said back at the end of the day, sometimes, wow, I wore a lot of hats today and yeah. I'm tired. Yeah. Do you have a hat rack for all of Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so how much do you delegate? It would seem to me like somebody else could get orders out and not not you is that you would think so but it's (laughs) (laughs) when my um in the summertime when my son's back from college yes very much so and that's also coincides with when i'm busier in photography because we're doing more you know more senior portraits in the summer that's our busy season as well as family portraits because winter um we're still kind of in false spring right now slash late winter uh, we had snow the last few uh, last few weeks here and there, so we're really not doing any outdoor photography. But we are in the summer, and that's when my son's back from college. So, hey, okay, Patrick, you deal with the uh, packing orders and things like that. You know, you can actually hire people that aren't family. I know the <laughs> challenge is there are multiple challenges with that, yeah. and some of them are me. Um, I stand in the way of that, but it's. There's so much knowledge you have to have about some of the unique things that we do that um, it takes so it would take so much time to get somebody trained up. And then some days we have a ton of orders, some days we don't. So I can't give somebody consistent time. Right. That's the problem from an entrepreneur and a business standpoint is mm-hmm. that if I'm going to hire somebody, which part of my mantra when I started this business was I don't want to have employees. Ah. Um, 
and I have had employees over the years and it's been good and bad. Um, had some great employees and some of my best friends right now were for former assistants. Um, but that's another hat and then that's another headache and that's additional accounting and things that you have to deal with. And then you have to make sure that you have enough work for them to do so that you end up, I find that I end up having to work to feed the beast mm. um, and the beast being the employees right. versus I want the beast to be me. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a different mindset, but it's, it's definitely one I, I embraced and recognized in myself early on. And, and that's why I realized, you know what, let's not have employees unless I'm absolutely forced to <laughs> Yeah. And push comes to shove and then we might get there. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your honesty there. <laughs> <laughs> I decided early on, I didn't want to have employees who were photographing, you know, I didn't want to run a studio. I wanted to be an artist, photographer, entrepreneur. Right. I will say if I could page back, which we can't, I would have had more support for the things that I'm not as good with or that are just a waste of my time because my time and most of us, our time can be worth two to four to five to a thousand dollars an hour doing Mm -hmm. what we make profit doing. And I always recommend creating a team, even if it's like virtual assistants or somebody that just comes in three hours a day, twice a week to get some of those open boxes, get orders checked in just the things that aren't rocket science. Right. And um, for me, being uh, single as well, it and I have had that consistently. It helps me kind of be less lonely in this little <laughs> photography world <laughs> is to have a buddy. And it also kept me because I don't photograph much anymore since my coaching business became pretty active activity, <laughs> active <laughs> activity. Um, but it, it kept me like, oh, that's right. This is a job. I need to get focused. You know, it, it if someone's coming in a couple days a week, it helps me. Oh, sure. Get more done. Not be, not just because they're doing it. Sometimes for me, like um, it's housekeeper day and I want to declutter an area. It's not so much the person that's there, the housekeeper, but even just them standing, keeping me company while I pull things out and say, put this in right recycle. So anywho. No, I, I totally agree with that. And uh, I see the same thing when my son's working here. I think I'm I'm not only more productive because he's taking some of the tasks that I do on a normal day, but I also feel like I need to uh, model better work behavior. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that, I, that I might when I'm here by myself. Yes. So, yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think as entrepreneurs and business owners, that is a big um, consideration about how we're going to structure our activities, who's going to help us, who's not, you know, what we want to do. Sounds like juggling multiple things kind of keeps it interesting for you, I'm guessing. It, it does. And I've, I've always been built that way. Um, I've just always have had a lot of ducks in the, in a row, a lot of irons in the barn or whatever the analogy. Is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> irons in the barn and ducks, <laughs> ducks in the fire. Ducks under the bridge, I think is. Oh is yeah. How that Those goes. ducks yeah. under the bridge. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love it. There's that dry sense of humor that you <laughs> promised. <laughs> So one of the things that you mentioned in your intake questionnaire, so I could get to know a little bit about what the heck we could chat about, Mm -hmm. is that entrepreneurship is a topic that you like to discuss. Yes? It is. It is. And well, and, and maybe even half a step back behind that part of my, I think part of my creativity is coming up with business ideas. I'm always mm-hmm. coming up with business ideas. They're not always good, um, but they're. <laughs> but I have business ideas constantly because um, I think it's 
part of it's you know working in marketing and advertising for years and understanding a lot of different industries and being able to understand market trends and seeing opportunities for clients you know combined with honestly being a photographer and being a wedding photographer for many years you see everything you yeah. know your your peripheral vision is you know i can i can see things behind me i swear and i see details that when I'm around what I would call quote unquote normal people that they, they don't see, you know, um, and because we have a photographer trained eye. So you put all that together and I see all these opportunities. And sometimes I'm like, boy, I wonder if I should just shift and do that. It's like, no, 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 no. Exactly. So, so, you know, the, I guess the conceding to the, some of the thoughts is like, okay, I'll do, I'll do a new podcast or I'll do uh, a new how-to video or um, I'll create a new product. And, and that's actually where a lot of it goes into is I'll create uh, a work with vendors or partners to create new products for the Moli brand or, or, or do a new product launch because then, you know, that will fulfill some of that creative need and feel like I'm, you know, bringing something new to the marketplace uh-huh. too. Have you been watching the Benjamin Franklin PBS special that no. just started this week? No, I might have to look that up though, because yeah, that sounds so interesting. I think it sounds like you have a lot in common with him. You know, he's always is inventing, always thinking, always yeah. growing, always doing something new. That and that for you as an entrepreneur, it's not only like I'm going to start a photography business and now I'm an entrepreneur that, but that you have that entrepreneur spirit. Right. Can you define entrepreneur just to get a little foundation? Hmm. That's an interesting thought. I I guess I, I think it's rooted in creativity. You want to create, uh, I don't know if I want to even limit it to business, but let's just say you, you want to create business or business opportunities to not only maybe enhance your life and those around you, but um, also to, you know, maybe help others that have a need that need to have, have that need filled. And mm-hmm. that's, and that is really the reason why I created the Molite brand is not only did I see a, an opportunity, but there was a big need for somebody who could bring this type of equipment to people, but have a strong knowledge of it and be able to provide um, great service and support and answer questions. When Godox was first hit the American market, it was, you could buy it on Amazon or you could buy it on eBay um, or a couple of the big box stores and that's it. Nobody there to provide service and support or answer questions. And everybody had questions. Okay, so your mind goes to problem solving as yes. an entrepreneur. Yep. Yeah, I'm <laughs> so as far back as I can remember, like the first thing I remember where I realized, oh, I was born to create something and then sell it. I might have been seven or eight. I, I was allowed to walk around the block by myself. I couldn't cross the street, but as long as I stayed on my block, that was cool. So I Walked around the block picking neighbors' flowers, which I did not know weren't just put there by God. (laughs) And then I came back to the house and I made little bouquets and tied them in ribbons. And I walked back around the block and knocked on doors and sold (laughs) them their flowers. flowers (laughs) I got some dimes and some nickels. And it was just like, oh my gosh, I made something and now I have money. And (laughs) so, and the other evidence when I think about my jobs until I was my own boss, there was always some friction with the bosses or in my mind, judgment, because I was always seeing things that could be done better. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't always appreciated. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so, so would you say that sort of the entrepreneur? That's, that's part of it. I, I, uh, one of the reasons why I sit here today doing what I do is that I also realized and I, I think showed a reasonably good self-reflection is that I can't work for people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have I, my tolerance for um, oh, incompetence 
at the management or leadership level ran out in about 1996. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thereabouts. Yes. I have said that as well, that I'm a better chief than an Indian. Mm-hmm. And even when I was first on the board in my PPA chapter, I think I was a pain for some of the presidents because I was, I'm an idea person. And, you know, and when people are in leadership that are not the collaborative type, then somebody who's full of ideas and such can kind of be a thorn in their side rather Ooh, yeah. than support. So, and I will say they still look back on the year I was president as one of the, one of those, you know, shining years where we got a lot in place that has carried on. And our San Diego chapter still is going strong. I've, I'm the longest active member and we have hundred plus oh, wow. active members in San Diego when everybody else is like, oh, our groups are dying and this and that. But anywho, I'm pretty proud of being a part of them. If you can't tell. So how would somebody know if they are or maybe are not cut out to be an entrepreneur besides the leadership? I, I, I think you're, you know, one of your many inner voices. I think everybody has many inner voices. I, I hope mine are always telling me all kinds of things. <laughs> yeah. um, no, I can't do I'll that. Listen to all of them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, no, I, I, I think um, if you, if you're one to listen to your gut, listen to your gut, listen to your heart and listen to your head. All those will start to align and pull you in a direction. And I think that's where, that's where you realize that this is something you need to do. And that's what happened to me. I didn't realize, and I didn't start my adult life thinking, you know what? I I just really want to create businesses or create things. It just became such a, such a strong pull internally that I just couldn't turn that off. It was just constantly um, filling my head in terms of you need to do this. You need to try this. This is something that can be done. You know, you're, you're the one that can do this. Mm. So I think that really becomes, um, more of an internal force that drives you to do it. And then I think for some people, it's an opportunity gets thrust upon them and they respond to it and they realize Mm. that this is something they can do. But I think for most people, it's really an internal drive that, pulls them, pulls them to do that. Thank you for that. Do you think that people who are not the better chief than Indian kind of person, somebody that is uh, comfortable being the supporter second in command can, because I'm sure there's tons of photographers who are like, yeah, I want to make this a business, but it's not in my nature. Do you think people can learn and grow and change in that way? Yeah, I think they can. Um, you know, everybody's different in how they learn and how they respond to uh, crisis and stimulus and all those kinds of things. I think if you've got um, if you've got an opportunity ahead of you and you don't know how to approach it, uh, coaching, mentoring yeah. mm-hmm. is definitely a, a strong recommendation. Um, sometimes just muddling your way through it and learning trial by fire, uh, which I've learned many of my lessons that way. Sure. Um, it's an expensive way of doing things, mm-hmm. but boy, do you own that lesson <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> once you've done it that way. Yeah. yeah. I, I love the book called grit. Do you know about that book? No, I, I maybe if, if there's so many books out there, I maybe have heard of it, but I never read it. So they did a study about what makes someone highly successful and they studied you know where they live their economic situation their education their race handicaps happy childhoods rough childhoods introverts extroverts all the factors that you could potentially think have an influence and what they found is none of that matters that it's the grit it's mm-hmm. what my dad would call the stick to like mm-hmm. I'm going to make this work. And I have seen personally in my coaching people who you just initially wouldn't think, oh, yeah, this is a really fit for them. Um, Because I always believe and hold the vision with people about 
where they can go and actually often visualize more than they can because I've been down the road a quite a bit farther. And it's been really surprising and exciting to see people that don't seem like they'd be a natural fit mm-hmm. for being a having their own photography business just thrive because they they get up, they do the work, they put the time in, they learn, they're not going to give up. It's something they want deep inside of them. And I've seen some people that I thought would just be, oh, easy peasy, natural, really struggle for, you know, whatever reason. But that concept, when I heard an interview with the author where it talked about grit, I was like, yep. that's it. That's it. It is. That's actually something I attribute to my success. And right along with that, very closely tied to it is the concept of fear of failure and competitive spirit. Mm. I hate to lose. Uh-huh. Ah. I will compete on anything. You you give me a game. We play tic-tac-toe. Uh-huh. <laughs> I will play until I win. Yeah. You know, um, when I played sports, this I, I may not look at now, but I was a little athletic. I played the game hard and I stayed in the game. Injury, whatever, I stayed and played. You mm-hmm. know, I, I stuck it out. Uh, I was talking with a good friend of mine uh, Monday night, Carl Kaler. Uh, you probably mm. know Carl. He's been on my show. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. He, he was in the first, I think, 25. Oh, so, cool. Yeah. Cool. We we're messaging back and forth during the NCAA. Uh, basketball championship game. Uh-huh. He's like, oh, so who do you think is going to win? And I said, well, Kansas City has better shooters and they've they've got uh, better athletes, but I think North Carolina is grittier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's exactly what I said. And North Carolina came out and put 40 points on them in the first half and they were winning 40 to 25 in the first half. Why? They out-hustled and they out-gritted them. Yeah. At the end, it didn't hold up. It was very, very close. It came right down to the last shot, and they almost won. The gritty team almost won. But you know what? Any day of of any week, if I've got a choice, I'll put my money on the gritty person, the gritty team, because Mm -hmm. they're going to find a way to get it done and and get a win. Right. Yeah. That's a good story. I like that. (laughs) One of the things I love about the journey as an entrepreneur is I see it as a spiritual practice. Yeah. Because whatever our strengths are, whatever areas we need to grow, mature, you know, or just in life where, you know, it's just natural to grow, it puts it right in our face. And if we conquer, like for me, I had an upbringing where there was a lot of fear, 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 fear. Mm-hmm. And So every year when I was doing weddings in January, I'd be like, this is it. This is the year I'm going to starve. I just know it. I'm going to end up a bailing. (laughs) And then I would confront that fear and learn to talk to myself and remind myself, hey, look how far you've come. Look at what happens every year. You feel this every year. And if this doesn't work, you'll do something else. If you end up a bag lady, I hope that's not a microaggression term (laughs) now, but you know, you'll find a great shopping cart. You'll find a community. You'll find a, you know, a place under the bridge where you'll be the best darn bag lady you can be. Absolutely. You know, like I'll handle it, whatever it is. And, and um, yeah, I just, and so then when we grow from the challenges of our business, then the rest of our life, is easier and happier and less whatever for me, less fear-based in general. I remember snow skiing and I'd read this book called feel the fear and do it anyway. And the mantra that she suggests Susan Jeffers is the mantra of I'll handle it like, Oh, this might happen. Okay. Well, I'll handle it. And I was skiing and I was like, okay, what if I trip and I fall and I hurt myself? And then I was like, I'll handle it. What if I accidentally over go over this cliff and die? I'll handle it. And, you know, it's all, it's all tied up. Like there's only life is, is not uh, separated, you know, any part. I'm not saying that well, but you know what I mean, right? I know what you mean. Yep. 
cohesive. <laughs> so um, before I ask you some tips about off-camera flash, um, which is a complete segue, is that the word? Sure. Anything else about entrepreneurship? Hmm. Um, the only other thing I would add to it is one thing we haven't talked about is if you're going to start a new business, make sure you're capitalized. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> make sure you've got a little bit of money to live on. Um, you know, I, I started the Molite business, the first inventory I bought, and it's just, I find it hilarious now because it's such a small purchase, but I, I purchased it with the uh, royalty check from one of my books. Had one of one of my books really came out with a with a bang, and just so people out there know, if you write a photography book, uh, you're not going to get rich. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think my royalties were two dollars and seventeen cents per book sold, and uh, you know you're not selling you know a million books in photography. Just saying. So, but anyway, um, I took that and I bought my first inventory. So I've been self you know, taking, taking the profit from that and buying more inventory and taking the profit from that and buying more inventory. I've been doing that for almost seven years now and, um, finally starting to take some money out of the business. Ah, yeah. <laughs> but you started with some money to get you through as at opposed least a little to, bit. Yeah. I'm going to do this bit. thing. Yeah. Right. One of, one of my coaching clients that has gone on to do incredible things in five years she started out by putting our coaching on a credit card. And as she grew and grew, she had loans so she could expand and got other loans. And I'm just so impressed that she has this, I'm going to make this happen and I'm not afraid to, to invest and right. trust right. that that investment is going to pay off. Well, and that's, that's a good point of that too, is, you know, you have to invest whether it's actual, you know, money, capital, or invest time or invest, you know, whatever into this. But um, I also, uh, coming back to my original point on it is having a little bit of capital up front sure makes it easier to get loans if you need to get loans. Absolutely. Because, you know, the interesting thing a lot of people don't realize is like, well, I'm going to go to the bank because I don't have any money for this. Well, the bank's going to look at that and like, well, you don't have any money. Why should we give you money? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the ones who get the money are the people who have the money and don't need the money. Yeah, right. <laughs> but but allows them to use the capital they have on hand to do other things to generate income. And they can use the bank's money to create profit and income from that particular endeavor. That's how that's how capitalism works. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> A lot of people don't realize that. They don't Why teach that in school. No, they don't. At least not in high school. Yeah. <laughs> So don't quit your day job, but save everything you can from that. Right. So that when you're ready to go for it, you're not held back by lack of the ability to like eat and pay bills and exactly. Such. Yeah. Because then you might take jobs that you really shouldn't be taking. Right. You're going to feel like you need to reduce your price because you're desperate to get certain business. You know, and I run into that all the time with people on pricing issues. And that's a big, it's a, it's a big thing that I get on my soapbox about is pricing for photographers. Mm -hmm. um, I did, I recently did a podcast about pricing uh, called a pricing, the race to the bottom. It seems like everybody's competing to, to give the lowest price. Why? <laughs> yeah. I just love that in the last, I don't know, eight years plus there's just been this huge movement to get back to, selling our work, selling it mm -hmm. in person, having clients give us thousands rather than hundreds, unless you really want to be a high volume business. And you know, that that's valid in this industry too. I don't know if you sure. know Richie Schwartz, the pet photographer. It kind of rings a bell. I don't know him. <laughs> He's yeah. hilarious. Anyway, he has a high volume pet photography business and, you know, that is great. That works for him. He employs a lot of people you know, that's his jam. Um, but I love back, I don't know, maybe it was eight years ago when the Facebook group IPS in-person sales started and there were like 500 of us and then there was a thousand and then two and five. And I don't know, I think there's 50,000 people in that group oh my right gosh. now. Oh, well, good. 
and so many at the beginning were people who were shoot and burn that realized that this ain't working for me. All right. And I've just seen so much movement in our industry. I don't know. Have you seen that as well, where people are getting back, not every single person, but, but that giving good sales, good customer experience is a thing again. What I'm, what I'm seeing is you see this throughout just about everything nowadays, a lot of polarization. Um, So I've seen a lot of people make the leap from, you know, quote unquote, shoot and burn or whatever it would be called now, shoot and download, shoot and whatever to understanding in-person sales and the experience. And then going from, you know, $300 average sales to $3,000 average sales and and, and beyond. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you have so many people that are still stuck in that you know, you'll, you're going to, you're going to do this for 300. I'll do it for 200. You know, I'll do it for a sure. hundred, you know, sure. I'll, I'll give you it pay. for free. I'll pay you. <laughs> I'll pay you. Yeah. I'll make it up and <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's exactly the joke. I'll let you tell it. <laughs> there's an old movie and I think it's from the ninth, late sixties, early seventies, very cult movie called Putney Swope. Oh, I watched that the other day. Okay. So that's exactly what it is. Like, <laughs> and that's the joke is like, you know, the, the photographer keeps dropping his price and keeps dropping his price until, you know, I'll do it for free. It's like, nah, I can get anybody to do it for free. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's a different joke, but yeah. I like that one. The one that I was going to mention is I'll make it up in volume. Right. I'm losing a hundred dollars per client. So what are you going to do? I'm going to make it up in volume. Volume. Yep. <laughs> so, I like it. Okay, let's uh, shift. But I love what a rich conversation about being an entrepreneur and that we don't have to like each person's journey. What I think you and I agree on is going to be unique, and there's no right or wrong. There's no. I mean, yeah, I think there's some of us that are are born to steal flowers and sell them or, you know, design businesses like your Molite business and, and so forth. But, um, but in general, when someone has that burning desire, then do you agree they can run with that? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Off camera flash. Whew, I have to spin my, spin my head around for these thoughts about this and how, how we can talk about this in a way that in a podcast, it makes sense rather than a live demo. So we start with the why maybe. Yes. That was actually in my notes. That was my first, my first, I'm going to ask him the benefits. So yes. Advantages. Why? Okay. There's so many and people, you know, most people I find in photography nowadays and maybe even in general, start off as what we call quote unquote natural light photographers. Okay. I'm just going to, I'm going to probably irritate some people. I'm just going to blow that up. All light is natural. Light is light. It doesn't matter if it's coming from the sun. It's bouncing off a garage. You're using a flashlight. You're using a strobe. You're using an led 15,000 candles. I don't care. It's all light. Mm -hmm. So what we need to do as photographers is we need to control the direction and the quality of the light. And the, the bugaboo with that is I see a lot of quote unquote natural light photographers. And again, people are going to get irritated anytime you pick on natural light photographers who don't control the direction and quality of the light. My good friend, Carl Kaler is one of the best natural light photographers I've ever met, but he is a master at controlling the direction and quality of the natural light, either placing people in the exact perfect place or getting them in a place that's really good and then blocking some light, redirecting some of that light. So it's creating shape and form and something that's pleasing and flattering to the subject. Mm -hmm. That's what we need to do as portrait photographers. Right. Where off-camera flash fits into that is it gives us a tool where we can create our natural light because it's all natural. Um, we can create our natural light wherever we want to, or wherever we need to. We don't have to have perfect light outside. We don't have to be stuck photographing in just one or two places or just, well, the only spot here that's any good is right over here 
well, but what if the background's better over there? Mm-hmm. I can, with off-camera flash, create and control the light so I can use whatever spot I want because this one, this spot is cooler. I can control the light in the background by either controlling that through my base exposure or adding light to the background with some off-camera flash. And then I can control how the, the lighting on the face and the eyes and the body is, is shaped by positioning and power and control of off-camera flash lighting the subject. Mm. It gives us so many more options, so much more flexibility, so many more tools that we can use to create a better image, a better experience for our clientele. And then the bottom line, more opportunities for them to buy high quality images. And the more opportunities we give them to buy things, the more things they will buy. So that's Mm -hmm. the bottom line is you'll make more money. Yeah. Yeah. I went through a whole different, whole different, uh, long story there to get to the bottom line is you'll make more money. Make more money. Oh, I like money. (laughs) It's nice. It buys things. Yeah. So Michael, I'm in the Carl Kaler camp where Mm -hmm. I'm, I will uh, humbly say that I'm very, very skilled at, Controlling the direction and quality of light mm-hmm. without on-camera flash or any other. I don't sure. use reflectors very often either. And it's true that I have to start with where's the light before right. I can pick a background. Now, one of the reasons I chose to learn how to do that well is because my bulk of my career has been photographing children. Mm-hmm. And I'm also, I can be drained from technology. So for me to go to a scene and be like, okay, there's a, there's a block from here. Here's overhead. Here's this is bouncing off of here. That's a great spot to me. And then I can put kids into that environment, kids, families, and I don't have to think about one more thing. Sure. So the technical has Because I wasn't drawn to it, then, you know, it's just not a strong education base that I have because it was a choice. But I love what you're saying about whether we're adding light or we're finding light, we need to know how to do it. Right. Right. Um, Another reason. So riddle me this, Batman. (laughs) 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 Um, Or, you know, fill in the blanks. Initially, and I've seen so many people so masterful with the on-camera flash that I honestly couldn't tell if it was real or Memorex. Sure. <laughs> Where, are you old enough to remember that commercial? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, know. I know. We both have a little bit of gray here. Um, is I always thought it looked fake. Most of what I was seeing mm-hmm. when I was making those decisions. Now, I will say... When I was a wedding photographer for 12 years, I had to use flash. And anyway, yes, you kind of have to me, you got no choice of the wedding. But right. anyway, I would see people using flash and using on-camera flash. And the background would look like a set that you pulled down. And they wouldn't, the lighting wouldn't really blend in a way sure. that looked natural to me. And I didn't like that. And you weren't out there teaching when I was, <laughs> you know, figuring this out and going to conferences and conventions and stuff. So do you know what I'm talking about? Do oh, you- yeah, I, I can see where you're getting. It's there's a couple of things that unfold there. One is I think one is having a natural looking non maybe not very obvious non specular light on the face. And then the other part of that is having lighting direction and quality on the subject that are congruent with what's in the background, ah. which I can, I can argue for and I can argue against depending on what the intent of the image is okay. and how much visual tension you want to create and how much you want to pop the subject out. Because there's sometimes you really want to carve the subject out of the background mm-hmm. and there's sometimes you want to marry them more with the background. I've always been of the camp, especially when it came to things like print competition and the stuff that I've won awards for is I've always wanted to carve the people out of the background and use a little harder light to be more dramatic because it's got more impact. But it's also not, you know, necessarily really, really happy, smiley, cuddly 
kind of lighting either. You know, right. it tends to be more dramatic, and and that's what I've done with a lot of my a lot of my work. You know, if you're looking for softer, less obvious, you know, it's just a matter of the blend between flash and ambient. You know, that's one thing that when I teach is, is that I try to get across to a lot of photographers that if you're is that when you're outside, it's not just flash. There's light everywhere. Mm -hmm. So you start with the base exposure, taking into account the light that's there and the light that's in the background that's on your subject. And that's how you derive your base exposure. You're just adding flash to the equation to create a little bit more direction, get a little catch light in the eyes, clean up the skin. So you're not getting color casts from, from the grass or the trees that might be around them, or maybe the orange wall that's next to them. And that's one of the benefits of off-camera flash is that it'll help clean up skin tones. Mm -hmm. So it's the ratio of flash to ambient light that will make make a difference on whether you think it's quote unquote flashy or not. If 80% of your light on the face is flash, it's going to look flashy. If, if <laughs> I just had a picture of you flashing people. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I flash people with, all the time. Yes. Maybe with and, your Molite t-shirt. <laughs> and, and people give me money. But... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you can hear that. I just heard a siren going off, but it must be our our tornado uh, siren test here in the Midwest. Okay. Uh, at noon on Wednesdays, they test them. Anyway, sorry. It just sounded like, what is that? Oh, it's a yeah, siren. You're getting arrested for flashing, but people give you money. So. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I can't remember where I was going with this now. But yeah, it's it's a matter of if you want less flash, have it look less flashy maybe 20% of the exposure of the light exposure on the face is flash versus the ambient. Mm -hmm. I mean, you do that with a light meter. Oh my gosh. What? What's a light meter? <laughs> it's a meter that guess what? Measures light. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> That was my next something I wanted you to talk about because I think with digital photography, huge amount of people who are highly successful don't own a meter, wouldn't understand how to use it. They're kind of doing the, you know, like you wet your finger and oh, yeah. hold it up and, oh, F8. So how do you use a meter in off-camera flash? Oh. Give a little basic meter 101 and why it's important. Yeah, and I I have to fully admit that I span the entire spectrum of meterage so i will meter things very tightly because i do a fair amount of commercial work too and especially in studio i will meter all the lights and get the ratios that i think i want and that's a very very key point that i think i want and then take some test shots or take a few like for real shots from there I will use the back of the camera or if I'm running to an external monitor to make creative decisions then yeah. I've got a base exposure that I know based on what my intent was, original intent was I've metered and that's what it, what it looks like. But then the creativity has to kick in mm -hmm. and I'm like, you know what? That's well and good, but this is boring. This, I need some more. It's like, it's like a cook or a chef you know, tasting the, the soup, it's like, this needs more oregano or this needs more garlic or needs more salt or whatever. And that's what I, I do. And I recommend a lot of people do, um, as photographers is, you know, get the light where it needs to be and get the base recipe there. And then you can experiment a little bit with your creativity and make it more your own. That's what I'll do in the studio outside. I lick my finger. Okay. <laughs> and I go, yeah, it's about, uh, I don't know, it's maybe about eight hundredths of a second F2.8 at ISO 100. And I can do that because I've trained myself to do that. Right. And I can get within typically a third stop or closer on ambient light in really any situation. Okay, well, the, the ambient light. Yeah. But then when you're adding the flash, mm -hmm. is it experience? First of all, are you putting the flash on manual so that you can control that to put it on auto. Yes. ETL, and all that stuff. <laughs> I'm doing okay. all that for, for a um, beginner. Right. Yeah. Here's what I do. And this, this, I, I, I'll teach this to some beginners too. 
and I think it has to be put into the context of what I'm photographing because that'll make a big difference here too. If I'm photographing a family and we're in a setting, I will meter it. I'll meter the flash as well. If I'm photographing a senior where my style is that we are going from here to there, to here, to there, to there, to here, to boom. Uh-huh. And my, my, my reasoning for that is many fold. One is that I want to keep the experience flowing. I want to keep them fully engaged because we all know the 17 year olds today. Uh, they have the attention span of a gnat, maybe. <laughs> and, and I don't want not to all them of them. I don't like reason. to generalize, but no, yes. that's true. But I mean, but if you give them, if you give them 30 seconds, they're pulling their phone out right? and checking, you know, something. So I, um, I, I try to stay fully engaged with them and the way I work with off camera flash allows me to do that. And that means that I can walk into a setting and go, okay, this is where, this is where I think my ambient is. What I'll do is I'll really quick, I'll flip my my camera to aperture priority. I'll pick my aperture. I'll take a look at the scene and I'm looking more at the background because mm-hmm. I want to expose for the background and I'll take a quick test shot. I um, mean, and we're talking seconds, boom. Okay. I'm off by about third stop, dial that in, switch it over to manual, bring my flash in and decide what kind of lighting pattern I want to create on this, uh, this client. And I will shoot that at TTL. And I'll typically shoot it at TTL if I'm outside minus one stop, minus two stop flash exposure compensation. Uh, And that's where I'm going to start to get close to being not flashy. uh That'll give me at least something to react to. Got it. With today's mirrorless cameras with the electronic viewfinder, I can look through there and I can see exactly exactly what I've got versus using a, like a Hoodman loop on the back of of your LCD. You can see a lot uh, outside. You don't have to worry about all the ambient light. You look through the mm-hmm. viewfinder, you see it in there, you see what you got. It's like, oh, that's still too flashy. Dial it down a little bit more. With the Godox equipment I use, I can shoot that shot first shot in TTL and go, that's close. I can press and hold a button and it converts that over to an equivalent manual setting. Mm. So it'll say, the, based on the TTL flash that fired, this is one eighth power. Okay. So now I can automatically flip that over to manual and I'm dialed in. If I want to adjust that, it's like, yeah, maybe it's still a little too hot. I'm going to turn it down a little bit. I can turn it down a third stop if I want. Okay. So let me, so you use the TTL to help figure out the settings you want. Right. And then you put everything on manual. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Because it's a very, very fast workflow for me. And that's the reason why for me, it's about, What's going to be the most efficient and going to get me there quicker and allow me to do more than, you know, if I were to take a lot of time and meter every single angle, they don't have the patience for that. Right. And I don't have the patience for that anymore either because I've got other shots that I want to create because my goal with all my senior clients is I want them to purchase an album Mm -hmm. and that album is going to have 30 images in it, 40 images in it, whatever. You know, I'm not out there trying to craft the one 30 by 40 family portrait that we're going to hang on the wall. I'm out there to craft the, you know, 40 to 100 great images that they can't say no to. So they have to do multiple different products and albums and books and things like right, that. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Um, you may not know this, but I'm the queen of wall portrait sales, three to seven or eight on average per client. Awesome. And um, it's for that same reason. I want a lot of variety mm-hmm. and, uh, and I work pretty fast and change the background, go to other locations with families. Sure. And um, so, yeah, I want them to have seven things that could be wall art plus the book. So, yep. and they do groupings and, and the whole nine yards. Yeah. All that stuff. Yep. And now, cause back, you know, when dinosaurs roamed the earth, and we had film cameras, you know, my Hasselblad had a Polaroid back that mm-hmm. whatever I was doing, I would pull a Polaroid or two or three or five in the studio. Because the thing I like about na- real natural light where it's directed 
is that I can see right there if it's working. And as long as my meter says the exposure is good, I don't need to right. pull a Polaroid. But in the studio, most of the time, yes, I would. So we do have that advantage now of where we can see what we're doing. So that's exactly what I've called it for years when any, anybody goes off on another photographer's like, why are you looking at the back of your LCD? And I'm like, why wouldn't you look at the back of the LCD? I come from the, from an ad agency in the commercial world where we were, we were shooting Polaroids and then doing Side. transparency film and yeah. quick dip and dunk to get that back to look at it. I mean, we're always looking at what we're getting. It's just now digital LCDs are, our Polaroids of today. Why wouldn't we mm -hmm. do that? Why wouldn't right. we, we've got the histogram right there. Why don't we look at the histogram and see where our highlights and shadows yes. are? What, <laughs> why yes. don't we use the technology you've got people? Right. But yes. um, yeah, sorry. I, I get on soapbox moments. That's a soapbox moment for me. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> I do appreciate the, when digital first came out and I can't remember who first started talking about chimping and no chimping. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> right. And, and there's a difference between looking at every single shot to see if you got the expression and the pose or looking to see if you've got the lighting that you want. Um, and then once you do, boom, you know, exactly. you're off to the races. Well, we're just about at that time to say goodbye. <laughs> I do this again. I have two questions for you. So one is the best way to get in touch with you now. Sure. You can go to the show notes and see all of his different places, but what's the best way to connect with you if they have questions or? Probably the best way, believe it or not, is Facebook. Is either to, you know, contact me there or friend me there, message me there. Um, you can always message me through the Molite page on Facebook as well. You can go to molite.com or gomolite.com. Um, I have both URLs and you could always do a contact form there. Um, so those are probably the best ways and the preferred ways. Okay. And uh, you can find me other ways, but those are going to get you the fastest responses. Great. And that's all in the show notes. And so parting thought either, is there something that you want to make sure we know about that I haven't asked you or just the something you want to leave people with? One thing we didn't talk about, we, we talk about off-camera flash, and that's kind of what I'm known for, is that um, LEDs are really becoming a lot more prevalent. And what, what flagged that for me was when we were talking about being, you know, shooting with your Hasselblad outside in natural light, you, you can see what you're going to get. That's the benefit of today's LEDs is they're powerful enough and they're color accurate enough that even in studio settings, you can see what you're going to get. And I've been mm. doing a lot of my headshots. Matter of fact, most of my headshots using LEDs now, mm. even though I'm a flash guy. Yeah. I've written books on flash. I'm doing a lot of LED work. Uh -huh. So uh, that's something for people to keep an eye on from a technology standpoint. And then you know, only other thing is, you know, I'm getting into the podcast stuff pretty heavily now too. So check out my podcast. <laughs> what is your podcast? Um, I have two. One is um, my own personal one is called Monday Morning Cup of Mo, where I, I spew knowledge, kind of like what we've been doing today. And it's usually a, a pretty quick hit. I usually have one quick topic that uh, is about 12 to 15 minutes, mm -hmm. and that comes out every Monday morning. And then I have a long form format one with Carl Kaler and Dan Freevault called the uh, Photo Happy Hour, where we uh, have a few drinks and we talk about photography for about 45 minutes to an hour. and Somewhere in the midst of all that, we lay down some pretty good knowledge. We have mm -hmm. a lot of fun too, but uh, that's a little bit more frivolous than the other one. Got it. Okay, dope. Well, everybody stay tuned for my wrap up as usual. And Michael, thank you so much to saying yes to being on my show. I know I learned a lot. And cool. so anywho, thank you. Wish I could give you a great big hug or high five. Appreciate you so so much oh thank you for having me on i had a lot of fun and you know if you ever need me again just let me know all righty talk to you then well that was fun i had a feeling michael was gonna be a good time 
So <laughs> hope you enjoyed it. And just a quick wrap up. We talked about the value of being an entrepreneur and how you might know that you were meant for that. He talked about having that inner voice. And uh, we talked about that even though somebody might not seem natural as an entrepreneur, if you've got the grit, you've got the passion, you've got the decision, and also you've got the capital to help you make it work, then go for it. And then we talked about off-camera flash and how using that can help, first of all, sometimes create drama where you can't when you're doing good natural light where you are still controlling the direction and quality of the light. It's a tool where we can light our subjects with whatever background we choose. And then we talked a little about the ratio of flash and how he uses a meter and TTL to get his settings. And I don't know, so much good stuff in there. I think you just have to listen again. <laughs> I know I will. So don't forget to go to lucydumascoaching.com and keep an eye out for the tab that says classes or something like that, because I have an online course I haven't talked about much and it's on sales. So it's my Profitable Photographer Sales Academy. That's it for now. See you next time. You have been listening to The Highly Profitable Photographer with Lucy Dumas. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe, review, and share. To connect one-on-one -on -one and learn more about our coaching programs, just go to lucydumascoaching.com. Until next time, go have fun photographing and selling your work.